This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 5th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The biennial Cato Institute Governor's Report Card for Fiscal Policy is out today. One of the best grades goes to Chris Sununu, the Republican governor of New Hampshire. I spoke with Governor Sununu last week about fiscal policy, COVID-19, and the relatively unique nature of what he calls the New Hampshire advantage. It is pretty awesome. For uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I went to MIT and I didn't get many A's there. Uh, it was a, <laughs> as a, as a, an engineer, uh, but to uh, to get an A, I, I, I am honored. It's look, it's um, it's the Cato Institute. It's it's one of the most respected, uh, well-renowned uh, organizations in the world when it comes to uh, just good civics, good uh, public service, good fiscal responsibility. So, uh, anytime that you're doing right by them in terms of uh, fiscal discipline and, and management, uh, whether it's in the public or the private sector, that's a great takeaway. And uh, I think it definitely means doesn't mean we don't have more work to do, right? But we're we're on a good track, and and I'm very proud of that. New Hampshire doesn't have a personal income tax. It's regarded broadly as a a, uh, low tax state, but it does have a business profits tax and a business enterprise tax. Uh, What has happened to those taxes in recent years? Uh, They've gone down. So I, the Democrats keep coming in and they keep trying to raise taxes. And it's just t- typical national playbook stuff. You'd think here in New Hampshire with what we call and define the New Hampshire advantage, uh, having no sales tax, having no personal income tax, uh, keeping regulations uh, minimal. Um, or you think they'd, they'd even take a little bit of a play out of that, if you will, the lowercase l libertarian playbook. Uh, but they don't. They keep trying to fight and, and, and drive this, this stuff up. But what we've shown is that the model um, that does prove itself out is when you support individuals and individual businesses. When you get rid of regulation, you become a pro-business state. More businesses want to go here. You can actually cut taxes and your revenues actually increase. Um, not that we need you know lots more money. We don't have a revenue problem in New Hampshire by any means. Uh, we want small government. We want local government. We want individuals to be connected to government uh, and not have to go through 20 layers bureaucracy just to get a a phone call back, right? Uh, We want to be everything Washington isn't, uh, frankly. And uh, and we we pride ourselves on that. And, you know, we work always going to work with our regional partners. We have Massachusetts, Maine and Vermont around us in particular, or even New York, um, you know, across. Thank God we have Vermont between us and New York, frankly. Uh, It's it's a great border for us. But but we have to work with those regional partners. But because they are so fundamentally different in their uh, constructs of government, we really do set ourselves apart not just uh, regionally, but even but nationally, frankly, and we like to be that gold standard. But it isn't by accident. It isn't because we're lucky. It isn't just because. It's because we work really hard. Uh, you have to get the right people in office that support policies, that support individuals. And when you do that, it, it really does work. And that's why one of the reasons I think through this crazy pandemic that we're seeing and the economic challenges that the entire country is receiving, um, we're booming. I mean, I don't know a better way to say it. We're doing really, really well. We got challenges, but nothing we can't overcome uh, just with with some good innovation. What has uh, given uh, New Hampshire its New Hampshire advantage? Um, You know, a a friend of mine, a former uh, full-time Cato scholar, Jason Bedrick, uh, was a lawmaker in the legislature, which you know, sounds impressive until you sit and think about how many people are actually in the legislature uh, of New Hampshire. Is it, when you say the structure of government uh, contributes to New Hampshire's advantage, is is the size of the legislature part of it? 
Uh, absolutely. So uh, as you're alluding to, and, and maybe some listeners know, some don't, but the fact that we have the, what well, I think the third largest parliamentary body in the free world, uh, you know, with uh, I think uh, British Parliament, uh, US Congress, and then the state of New Hampshire with our 400 representatives. Uh, and every single one of them gets paid about a hundred bucks a year. So it's truly a volunteer government. That's before taxes. <laughs> what taxes? How dare you? <laughs> uh, and then it's and then every one of us, whether it's the governor, our executive council, we're one of the only states that has an executive council. It's a very important checks and balance on the power of the governor, frankly. Uh, and then our legislature, every one of us can be fired every two years. We are one of the only states where we have to get elected every two years. That is a complete accountability to the citizens. I'm not going to lie to you as governor. I wish it didn't have to, I didn't have to run every two years, but as a citizen, I love it. And, and, and that is a, a big part of what makes us special. The fact that uh, the bulk of our taxes that we do pay for the little bit that we pay, but the higher proportion, unfortunately, it does have to go to property tax. But th the value there, if you will, I mean, nobody likes to pay property tax, but the value there is in our small towns, you know, your selectmen, you know, who's on the budget committee. Heck, half the time, they're probably related to you in some way in New Hampshire. And you see them at the grocery store and you can go up and say, hey, look, why are we spending money uh, here, here and here in our schools, in our cemetery committee, on the library, you know, for the new fire truck, whatever it is. And you have an incredible say in terms of how your dollars are actually spent. You don't just write a check here the government and then hope for the best. You are a true part of the system. And, you know, when you, if you think about it with our legislature, our cities and towns, our planning boards, our town moderators, our county government, when you add it all together, um, if you don't know or aren't related to somebody who's running for office at any given time, uh, that's a bit of an anomaly. And it isn't because we all love politics, but we all, I think, appreciate that when it is truly local, as Tip O'Neill said, when because all, all good politics is local, uh, we have a, a say and a responsibility to participate in that process, make sure our voice is heard, and we are listened to. And that's a, that's a really a, a, a great thing. And so you can't fall into that those bad habits you see other states taking or even the Washington that that takes and um, and really make sure that those individuals have a voice. It's easy to for that to slip. It's easy to let politics take over. But you got to remember what keeps, to your initial question, what keeps that New Hampshire advantage so special and so unique in the country. So taxes are uh, half of the equation for uh, or you know, a good chunk of the equation when it comes to uh, fiscal responsibility. The other is spending. What contributes most to New Hampshire keeping spending relatively low these days? Um, well, first, like, you know, I come from a business background. I, I was an engineer for a long time. I ran a business for a long time. Now, a, a lot of folks will tell you, you got to run the government like a business. Well, you can't really do that, unfortunately. It, it sounds great. The reason being is that when I had my business as the owner and CEO, I could you know, make an investment, a new capital investment, or we could create a new program, whatever we might have been doing. We ran a ski, I ran a ski resort and a four-season resort for a while. But when you're in government, it's not my money. It's your money, right? It's the public's money. And so you do need that extra le level of checks and balances. So that's the fundamental difference. Now, the key there is you don't let government get big. You keep government small. It doesn't mean you have to shortcut your programs, but you can keep your bureaucracy streamlined. Your constituent service is very strong. So if someone has a problem, they can call in, find out how to get you know that better service, put the dollars to your, your folks on the ground. You want to make sure you're, for example, division of children, youth, and families, making sure kids just aren't getting abused. 
right? Making sure that uh, kids that are in foster, you know, you have more kids hopefully leaving foster care than coming into foster care, those types of things. Invest in your folks on the ground, on the front lines of those programs, not into the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth layers of bureaucracy that tend to, to muck up the whole system and slow it down. So by doing that, you save money, you, you create a, a more efficient system. Uh, and then when you can, you defer to the locals. Let them take charge and empowerment of their own communities. And, and again, let them make those investments at the community level, because again, they're, they're forced by that because of the high interaction of the citizens to just be a much more efficient system. And you're going to get a bit better bang for your buck for your dollar. So, so uh, we're in a pandemic right now. Uh, I'm sure you heard about it. Uh, <laughs> I got the memo. Thank you. <laughs> the, uh, you. You mentioned that property taxes are probably a bit higher in New Hampshire than they are in surrounding states and and nationally. Uh, how does that impact your ability to meet obligations uh, relative to other states where incomes have uh, fallen fairly dramatically for a large share of the workforce? So uh, let, let's talk, let, there's kind of two answers to that, if I may. Let's talk strictly in the realm of the pandemic, right? So Congress put out the CARES Act money and the relief money. Um, the, the dollars that went to every state were a little bit different. Uh, the ability for states to spend it was pre pretty much all the same, but then some states had to deal with legislature, some didn't. Because I took control of those dollars and didn't let the dollars get caught up in the bureaucracy, one thing I tried to insist on is, by God, if, if the government's going to spend these trillions of dollars, and it's just outrageous, I mean, or what they're spending and even what they're proposing to spend, that $3 trillion uh, plan out of out of uh, Congress was just uh, ludicrous, frankly. Um, but what they did give us, okay, we're going to spend it wisely, and we're going to make that investment investment not into ourselves, but into business, into healthcare, into those areas that are the most needed. And we're going to do it directly. We're not even going to go through the legislature. Legislature sued me for that, but I won. So, And at the end of the day, we did it right and we did it very efficiently. So being able to have the, the government's uh, support was important. I'm not, you know, that that's that was great because this was unprecedented. No one had a playbook. You couldn't get testing anywhere. You couldn't get PPE anywhere. Uh, we had to set up emergency shelters and things of that nature in case the hospitals got overrun. Up here in New England, as a whole, early on, we were very, very hard hit, Boston, New York, and that affected us. You know, New Hampshire, for your listeners, you think of us as like the tax-free suburb of Boston, right? So um, if you don't want the taxes and the bureaucracy and the traffic, you take an extra, you know, go one mile north and boom, you're in tax-free New Hampshire. So we were able to set ourselves apart in terms of how we spent the dollars from other states, even though we, we were kind of at the, the tip of the spear a little bit with the pandemic early on. And we had to make some tough decisions to be sure, but that flexibility of spending the money early on allowed direct efficiency. I spent $500 million. It's a lot of money on business, right? We didn't do this PPP stuff where there were these elongated loans that were going to essentially ask businesses to borrow themselves into oblivion. Um, we, we didn't try to that. And that also gets hung up on their balance sheet as a liability. It, it prevents their ability to work with their banks. Banks are doing very, very well, by the way. They are flush with cash, but they have an inability to lend out because so many businesses have their PPP loans at the federal level hanging on them as a liability. So we give out grants because my goal was to play for the long game to say, look, I can't make a business whole, but I can make it hopefully get a business to survive. So they're paying their property tax, their bills, their mortgages, whatever it is, maybe keep some folks employed. Because my goal is that when 2021 comes around and the economy is really coming back strong, 
throughout the United States, we want to already be there. We already want to be at the front of the line coming out like a rocket. And so my goal was to invest in these businesses, invest in nonprofits. Nonprofits hire a lot of people in the state and they provide a lot of our services. That's one of the ways we keep our, our costs low is we basically outsource a lot of our services uh, to the nonprofit. So supporting those folks on the front early on has created an efficiency and will allow them to be there for, eco- for our economy in 21. If uh, there were one policy change for uh, governors that they could fight for that would give them the biggest bang for the buck in terms of improving uh, fiscal stability uh, and fiscal responsibility in their state, what has New Hampshire done that they should emulate? Well, two things. If When, when I fight, there's two answers to that in, that. in Washington, I'll give you two words. Block grant. Block grant. Block grant. Let states decide how to spend their federal dollars. Whether you're talking about Medicaid, whether you're talking about education, whatever it is. Because how now, many- with respect to Medicaid, you're referring to the fact that when the federal government spends money on Medicaid, it essentially obligates the state and sort of perverts the typical incentives that states would have to spend X versus Y dollars. Oh, completely. Oh, completely. I can't. I don't know how who wrote these original rules and who have who has changed them over time, but the roadblocks that come with each of those dollars um, are are completely um, counterproductive, right? They they make no common sense, frankly. And and I give the president some credit; he's really tried to break down a lot of that those regulations. Regulatory reform is really the third leg of the stool when it comes to uh, I think fiscal responsibility um, and allowing us, for example, whether it's to buy our our pharmaceuticals uh, into Canada, and we finally passed that law, and hopefully we can break down those barriers, um, things of that nature. I can't even negotiate a lot of my own pharmaceutical rates through Medicaid at all because they create that barrier. That makes no sense. Let every state compete. Let the free market work as it is supposed to do uh, instead of, you know, creating these arbitrary rules that we all have to live by. Now, within New Hampshire, uh, you know, that's so that's that's what I would say to Washington. Block rent free of a lot of those burdens. Uh, give us the check. And, and we'll say, by the way, in doing that, we could probably take 80 percent or 70, in, in some case, maybe even 50 percent, depending on the program. Um you know, just have like one guy sitting at, at HUD and one guy sitting at the Department of Education in Washington, get rid of the 10,000 employees, save that money. You could, uh, you know, cut us probably less dollars so I don't have to hire all the lawyers and everything to cut through their regulation. Um, so the efficiency you get from that is is exponential. It builds on itself. Okay. Assuming that uh, states are unable to dictate to the federal government changes in policy in dealing with states, what are the what is a reform at the state level that New Hampshire has adopted that other states could uh, could emulate. I got to be honest, our we have an executive council. Our executive council is a five individuals. They are elected every two years independently and, and they represent about a fifth of the state each. And they are essentially a checks and balance on the governor and they approve virtually every contract in this state. They meet in an open public meeting Every two weeks with the governor, anyone can come to that meeting. All the commissioners come from the state because they want they can be asked questions on any contract that comes up in the state and it gets voted on and, or up or down. And because of that, it really has cr- forced all of our commissioners, not just recently, but literally over the past 200 years, it forces them all to say, well, I'm going to be held to an open and public scrutiny on this. I better make sure I bid the process right. I'm not just doing sole source contracts. We're making these things competitive. And that inherently drives the cost down and just having the public uh, openness. And then secondly, they they approve all of the the governor's, uh, they are, uh, the approval body, like the Senate is for the president, the executive council is for the governor. So I can nominate who I want, but they have the checks and balance on our commissioners. And the third piece there is our commissioners 
because I get elected every two years, you can't have a, every commissioner come in and out every two years. So most of our commissioners are there four or five years. Governors inherit other governors' commissioners sometimes for a period of years. So it forces you to really make sure that you're putting the right people in for the job for the right reasons. It takes a lot of the politics out of it and inherently makes the entire system much more efficient. But most governors, uh, ours was created in 1680. The King George III, or the first actually created it. Uh, most of the colonies had it. And over time, each governor has kind of knocked it out. And if I could uh, just bear with me, Chris Christie was up here running for president and Chris and I have become uh, good friends. And at one point I was an executive counselor and he said, so you want to run for governor? I said, yeah. He said, no, that's great. But, um, you know, what is this executive council thing? It sounds like they have a lot of the, the power. And I said, well, it's the checks and balances. And I explained it. He said, man, why would you want to run for governor in a place like that? That, you know, where you can't just do whatever you want. Now, for those who don't know, New Jersey uh, constitutionally has one of the strongest governors. I mean, the governor of New Jersey can effectively do almost whatever they want uh, with line item vetoes and bringing people in and out and employee at will and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we here have a true checks and balance system because, again, we don't think any individual should have too much power because that can uh, fundamentally corrupt the system. So it's um, it's a unique system. It's hard for folks to accept that it's going to give you a better result. But believe me, if, uh, if all 50 states and the federal government adopted that type of checks and balance onto the system, System, the efficiencies would just be tremendous. We see it here in New Hampshire, and it's a big part of our, our New Hampshire advantage. And everybody across this country is going through tough times, whether it's the anxiety of the pandemic, the anxiety of the COVID virus itself, what's happening with their jobs, what hap what's happening with the economy. Uh, we're very blessed here in New Hampshire that our COVID numbers are very low and our economy is very strong. Now, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, our original estimate was we're going to have a half a billion dollar budget gap that we had to manage. And I've always said, no, no matter what that gap is, I don't need a new tax to do it. In fact, I think I can lower taxes, frankly, and spur more business activity, which fundamentally helps uh, you know, fund and, and make sure that the most essential programs in government can move forward. So having that, that efficiency is so important, but you don't need new taxes. You don't need new spending. You don't, if, if your governor or your legislature is telling you you have a revenue problem, you don't. You just don't. There's always a better way to manage and there's always a, a better way to innovate. So there's hope there. These are these are some pretty tough times. But what I what I've seen in talking to other governors, um, specifically uh, Democrat governors, if I may, is, yeah, we, we need more revenue. We need more of this. You know, this is a crisis. So we're going to have to go out and, 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 and raise taxes. And I keep saying, guys, in, in an economic crisis, that's the last thing you should be doing. Kicking people when they're down, asking for another buck out of their pocket when they don't have it to give. In those models, that's putting government first. In New Hampshire, we put individuals and businesses first. It's that simple. So when times are tough, we want to give you the opportunity and open the and open that. And it just baffles me when when I see so many folks out there that are putting government first over those individuals. And when you have that change in just that simple change in perspective, amazing things can happen. I, we're we're not perfect here by any means. I mean, New Hampshire has a lot of issues that we have to deal with, but um, but we do try to. I think, stay true to our model because fundamentally our success is built on 200 years of, of staying true to that. And, and it's working. New Hampshire Advantage, live for your die, right? Live for your die. It is not four words on a license plate. It's just how we do it here in New Hampshire. Chris Sununu is the Republican governor of New Hampshire. He received an A on the Cato Institute's fiscal policy report card for governors released earlier today. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 